Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Election Profit Makers, a podcast, you might say, about winning and losing money by betting on current events and political outcomes. If it sounds like a lot of fun, that's because it is. I'm one of the main hosts of Election Profit Makers. I'm one of the three legs on this little stool that lifts you up and anoints you as a true capitalist, a true warrior for truth, justice, and the American way of money-making at all costs. My name is David, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Starly. Hello, Starly. Hi. And John. Hi, John. Hey. <laughs> you lunged at that microphone. I thought that windscreen was about to get torn off. That was intense. No, actually, I pushed the windscreen aside. I don't think I need it anymore. Wow, you're just going for it, huh? You feel free? Yeah, I do. Feels a little illicit, right, to podcast without a windscreen? You know it's a mistake, but you know there are options if things go off the rails. Yeah, I know there's post-production, and they can fix all those P's and pops and... Plan B, that's the podcaster's plan B. Reduce those P's. I don't think it's a mistake. I think the windscreen was keeping you from connecting on a deeper level. Right? It's just mm-hmm. another layer. It's like a mask. Oh, yeah. This conversation is getting so gross. Yeah, man, I can't really perform with this other layer on. Do you mind if I take off this layer and I can really be free? Mm, I think you're going to leave that layer on, champ. No, I like the mask analogy. I like that it's this thing that served its purpose, but it's not, it was never meant to be forever. And when you wear the mask, it was a barrier between human connection, which is why we wanted to get to this point where we wouldn't have to forever be separated from one another. Right. But now it's, now we're approaching summer. Skinny dipping season. You can't have a windscreen on during, in skinny dipping season. David likes to skinny dip. I can see that about David. I love skinny dipping. David seems like someone who has either a hundred layers on, including his long hair and his mustache, or nothing. Oh my God, I've snorkeled nude in the Caribbean. I've skinny dipped at night among bioluminescence on Cape Cod. I love rope swings. I love skinny dipping. I love jumping from great heights into bodies of cool, refreshing water. Before we dive into the world of politics and all the topics that we've decided to address this morning, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge an amazing birthday today, a super historical birthday. Do you guys know whose birthday it is today? Is it Eric Trump? Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, Matt Gates, Michael Jordan, Steve Bannon, Medina Spirit, Paul, Paul, Paul Wolfowitz, Paul Ryan. I'm going to give you a hint. Cal Cunningham. Are you guys ready for your hint? Tony Soprano. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, exactly. Yes! Bob Dylan's 80th birthday. John Kimball got it. It's another episode of my podcast, recorded out here on my Zoom. I'm going to speak the truth about politics here from my living room. My name's Bob Dylan, and I'm here to say, I rock a harmonica in a major way. You never heard music until the day I stepped on stage and said, Lay, lady, lay. Bob Dylan, happy birthday, Bob Dylan. You're a major singer-songwriter in American history. Congratulations on your many substantial contributions to the American Songbook. Bob Dylan is 80 today. Ever since Charles Gordon died last week at age 86, everyone seems young because I don't understand how Charles Gordon was 86 
I don't know how Charles Gordon was the oldest of all the people that we've had in our lives this whole time. Do you know my theory about Bob Dylan? Hmm. This is an old parlor game I used to play, and now you know the answer, so it won't be much of a game. But I used to say, there is somebody who, when they die, it's going to be the biggest deal in the world. Not just because of who they are, but also because of the demographics of who their fan base is and who controls the media now. My theory is that when Bob Dylan dies... I think we played this game, and I came up with Bob Dylan. We can't play this game, though, because this game is even more scary now. After Charles Gordon died, I was like, uh-oh. Starley's like, oh my God, people can die? No, I did, honestly. I, I don't think it ever really hit me until last week. And so now it feels like, it's this weird thing where I want to make sure everyone who's alive knows how much they meant to me. Like when Charles Gordon died, I was like, but I didn't get to meet him and tell him. I never got to send him my card, my thank you card. It just never occurred to me he could die. So I don't want to, like, single people out and be like, well, that person's this age. They they could die. I don't want them to feel like they would be next. But I also, I do want them to feel appreciated while they're alive because I don't want it to just be after they die that everyone's, like, watching Midnight Run collectively as a nation. You got to hug your loved ones while the hugging's good. This is the summer of hugs. This is the summer where everyone can tell each other how much they appreciate each other. But can that be in tweet form, though? Yes. I can't just be like, hey... So I don't even want to use an example right now because I don't want to— Hey, at Bob Dylan, just want to let you know. No, because that's putting, like, a Final Destination mark on his head. Hey, at Stanley Kine, thanks for your tweet. I'm hitting replies, sliding my DMs. I'll send you a Bandcamp link to download my exclusive new song. It's called Summer of Hugs. Bob Dylan is someone, though, that is— even now, he's being told that people like him, and he's trying to be like, I got it. Oh, no, he spent the last 20 years trying to make sure that <laughs> none of his fans like it. He goes and plays these, like, weird little baseball stadiums and just sounds like a—makes makes Tom Waits sound like Kelly Clarkson. He's out here being like, oh, you guys like blowing in the wind? How about when I play it on a keyboard like a little monster? How many roads must a man walk down? Before they can call him a man. Clink, clonk, clink, clonk, clonk. I'm Bob Dylan. Do you like me still? Yeah, so he's not, be, he's not been forgotten. So it's other people that need to know. Um, Bob Dylan. Hey, is that Bob Dylan in the background, Starly? <laughs> hey, is that? <laughs> hey, Starly, check it out. Check it out. John, check this out. Hey, Starly, you didn't tell me that you moved in with your new housemate named Bob Dylan. That's good. Bark Dylan. That's funny, right? Ha <laughs> ha. Bob Doggin. Bob Doglin. <laughs> For the record, my point about him being younger than Charles Gordon is 80 is young. 80 is young. 80 is the new 50. Yeah. yeah. And 50 is not that old. No, the 50 is still 50. 50 is still 50. Somehow we didn't dislodge what 50 is. But this is what it, how it breaks down. It's like, it's like 18 through 24 is somehow 30. 30 is... The new 20. 39 is the new 29. 40, up until like 43, it's the new 30s. And then after that, into 50, then you it's still the same age. immediately slam into 50. Yeah. Once you get over 43, you're 50. Yes. Totally. You're 50 until you're 80. <laughs> yeah. But then when you're 80, you go back to being 50. Yeah, you're 50 for life. Yeah. Let's get to it. 
We have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Groomgate entering its third week. This controversy about the origins and proper usage of the word groom originally brought up vis-a-vis the drug addict who won the Kentucky Derby. I'm allowed to malign a horse. It's an animal. It can't counter sue. Uh, Last week, I had said, by way of correcting my use of groom, that the horse groomers should change their name to groomers instead of grooms so that there would be no ambiguity between bridegroom and horse groom. And then everyone attacked me. So now we're entering our third week of this controversy. As Matt Gates, representative from Florida, knows there's nothing worse than a long, drawn-out controversy to so. What I want to do this episode is, is put this controversy to bed forever, irrevocably. Here's a message we got from Andy. I'm sympathetic to your confusion around the word groom, though I'm sorry to report that the horse people had it first. If anyone has to stop using the word groom, it's probably the wedding people. The word groom, in the sense of a stable servant, predates by at least a few hundred years the word groom in the sense of a person who is about to get married to a bride. Groom, in that sense, is a contraction of bridegroom, which is itself a 17th century corruption of the old English word bridegrooma, I assume, which literally means wife guy. The guma part of bridegrooma translates into groom because many people already associated that word with boys or men or male-bodied people. So groom, as in a person in a tuxedo at an altar exchanging vows with a bride, is in fact a late-breaking adaptation of a word that meant person in a stable who takes care of horses. It's wedding Twitter who is wrong in this case, not horse Twitter, who can claim an older lineage for their sense of the word. Let's never discuss this again. That controversy is officially over. Agreed? Yes. Our official position is that although we wish horse grooms were called horse groomers, we understand that they have an older claim to the word And in fact, it is grooms at weddings who should be known as groomers or bride groomers. Speaking of Matt Gates, because he was out there grooming those 17-year-olds with cocaine and Venmo payments. But that's a different, that's a story for a different day. When you take your dog to get groomed, why aren't they called grooms? They should be. Where did groomers come from? Our official. Okay, groomer. Hey, that's kind of funny because it rhymes with okay, boomer. And who's a famous boomer? Bob Bob Dylan. Dylan. This is our Bob Dylan episode, right? Hmm. Let's start the podcast. You know Bob Dylan eats at the same diner every week in Los Angeles, David? Every day, actually, I think. Are you serious? I could go talk to Bob Dylan in real life? I don't think you could talk to him, but you could watch me. Why can't I talk to him? If it's a diner, it's a free country. Is he in like a walled-off booth? Well, well, now he probably—this year he probably didn't eat that diner. I don't know what he did last year. I'm going to go stake out that diner. I'm going to hand Bob Dylan a bunch of lyrics, and I'm going to say, let's collaborate. I'll say, this is what I'll say. Hey, Bob Dylan. Um, excuse me, Mr. Dylan. My name's David. I'm uh, very familiar with your hit songs. I'm a political podcaster. Do you know what podcasts are? Yeah, yeah, sure I do. What's the name of your podcast? I would say it's called Election Profit Makers. What a name, what a name, what's your game? And I would tell them all about the podcast. It's a podcast about betting on political outcomes with my two friends, Starley and John. Oh, Long John Silver and Starley Quinn. Two of my favorites. I'm in for the win. Mr. Dylan, this is wonderful. May I sit down, actually, and join you while you eat your BLT here at this diner? He would say, well, certainly. I would say, well, I thought it would be funny if we wrote some classic songs together about political figures like Matt Gates. So here's a song I wrote that you could sing about Matt Gates. 
I'm Matt Gates doing coke in the hotel bathroom with an Instagram model. It's all love as far as I can tell. Now let's send some Venmo payments to teenage girls. Oh, Matt Gates, you're doing great. He'll read that and be like, yeah, that's a good song. Let's, re- let's release it on my band camp. When I play the Super Bowl next year at the halftime show, I'll bring you out and you can take a guitar solo on the Matt Gates song. Then I would know I was really in the zone with Mr. Dylan. I have to apologize uh, to listener Corey. I called him out for being a Dogecoin investor, which I thought was um, short-sighted of him. I got an angry text from him where he said, all I did was put $50 in Dogecoin as a goof when I couldn't get my money out of Robinhood. And then I forgot about it for two weeks. And then I saw that my $50 had turned into $800, you hater, in all caps. So congratulations to Corey for turning a pretty penny on a, on a made-up bit of money. I send my apologies and my best regards to my little cyber currency friend there, Dogecoin. New York City mayoral election, John. Eric Adams and Andrew Yang, busy week on the markets last week and the continued fallout from that Democratic primary debate. Andrew and Eric trading leads on Predicted. What's the latest? You had promised a massive endorsement this morning for one of the candidates, but I didn't see anything in the news. What's up, bro? Uh, John Liu, the first Asian American elected to citywide office in New York and is currently a state senator uh, in the New York Assembly representing Queens. He endorsed Yang this morning. So I don't know if that's major or not, but it's something. Yang is up, though. He is actually— He's up 10 cents. Yeah. It's depressing because last week we had a real race in our hands predict it wise. And now it's back to the same old, same old. Now it's got Stringer at seven, Catherine Garcia at 10, 10 cent lead uh, by Yang over Adams. That's not exciting. If we have to end up with the Yang in the end, I at least want it to be an exciting race to get there. Currently, we have Andrew Yang at 47, Eric Adams at 37, Catherine Garcia at nine. Of course, I bought 100 shares at 12 because my theory was once Eric Adams was in the lead, which was the case after the debate, and everyone started looking at his history of corruption and bad decisions, then he would fall. Yang is already falling. And then I thought Catherine Garcia, flush off her New York Times endorsement, would surge and I would make a pretty penny on my 12 cent per share investment. That, of course, has not happened. This really does seem to be a two-person race. Eric Adams, Andrew Yang. I had some visitors this weekend, longtime family friends. Uh, from New York. One of them has moved here and uh, opened a bagel shop in Chapel Hill, which is very awesome. What? A New York bagel shop in Chapel Hill? Yeah. Brandwine's Bagels. Check it out. Wow. On Rosemary, right on the Carborough line. I talked to them this weekend and they are really hot on Garcia. They're hot on her because they like her or because they think she's going to win? They like her, and everyone that they know likes her. So In the bag. This election is in the bag. But, you know, I'm still an Adams guy. I'm not an Adams guy in, in that I like Adams. I just think that Adams has the best chance right now. But they cautioned me and said, Garcia. This is the thing. I have yet to meet anyone who wants Andrew Yang to be mayor but yet he seems to be in the lead. So I don't understand what's happening. But remember, Starly, during the primaries, the Yang gang pushed Yang way high on predicted during the presidential primaries. So he is he could be 
and maybe just artificially pumped up because he's got a real fanboy group that likes him. This is the story of Andrew Yang. He runs for mayor, it ain't no thing. He's having fun and making it rain. A thousand dollars to the poor people. You can't, you can't cancel Andrew Yang. He has no shame and he has a big face. He loves to smile and meet his fans. That's why Andrew is our man. All these other politicians try too hard. Andrew Yang just goofs off like he's in his backyard. That's why they love him and he can't be stopped. He's Andrew Yang and he's on top. Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. The reason why Yang is on top is because this just isn't the A-team. None of these guys are particularly impressive. Uh, Even on Twitter, one person has tweeted at me that they like him, and I asked him to say why, and... This person said that he he thinks Yang understands tech more than anyone else, and tech is going to be the thing that takes us down. Oh Automation. Uh, this is his anti-robot stuff where he's like, we need universal basic income because soon all the robots are going to be running everything. It's like, fella, you think the robots are going to let us just give each other free money? No, the robots are going to be like, we want the money, not the humans. Give us the money now that we run everything, <laughs> Mayor Yang. Andrew Yang doesn't know anything about tech. Probably read a William Gibson book once in high school, and it, and it warped his brain, and he thinks that's reality. Robots aren't going to take over shit. There, I said it. Humans number one forever. Mm. Okay. Is Andrew Yang at 47 cents a good buy, John? Should I dip back into the Andrew Yang market? No, it is not a good buy. You really don't think Andrew Yang's going to be the best mayor? No. I've always said Andrew Yang is going to be the next mayor. And last week I felt a little silly when Eric Adams was surging on predicted and leading in those polls. But now that Yang is back up on predicted, I'm back on my Yang hobby horse. Meet your new mayor, Andrew Yang. New York City, prepare yourselves. You're about to be so teched out. It's going to be incredible. The summer of tech. The summer of sex and tech. People are going to say, sex out, tech's out. Andrew Yang, tech mayor. UBI. This week, he got zinged because he said, you know what would really be great is if we had homeless shelters just for victims of domestic violence. We should try that. Of course, that art system already exists. This is the classic disruptor being like, oh, you know what would be amazing? Multi-passenger decentralized people movers that went on a regular, regular circuit. I think I just invented a whole new mode of transportation. Or you know what would be amazing? If cars could go under the surface of the road in a hole that linked two locations. But Andrew Yang keeps making these dumb mistakes, thinking he's invented a whole new type of homeless service that's been around forever. It never catches up with him. And that's because, I think, he's not a politician, so he doesn't have to be judged by regular political metrics, like knowing what you're talking about. That's why I think, John, Andrew Yang is unstoppable and is going to be the next mayor of New York City. I'm doubling down on it. I'm tripling down on it. He's just the famous one. <laughs> famous, infamous. I mean, what, you know, this week they announced that the, the, the guy, Mark McCloskey, the guy who was holding weapons against Black Lives Matter protesters who were walking by his house in St. Louis, he and his wife, that he's going to run for Senate in the Republican primary in, in Missouri. So he's probably the most famous of them, right? Is he going to win? <sighs> It depends. For McCloskey, I think it depends on if he seems like he's having fun. It really depends on his campaign performance. Now, obviously, he will campaign holding his big assault rifle that he was holding on the 
porch of his house while his wife was holding her little gun. To his head. He'll probably try to use that imagery as part of his campaign literature, which, of course, will be totally disgusting. Yeah, the video he put out said, I stood firm against the mob that tried to burn down my house and kill me. Bro, they didn't give two flying farts about your dumb house. Nobody was trying to get in your house. Are you sure? This guy, this guy. He's like Caitlyn Jenner. I, I, it's like, it's like who, it, there's certain people who feel emboldened by Trump in terms of him just being, saying the most hateful things and they can't believe you get to say that and they want a chance to say that too. There's other people who are like, if that guy, if that reality show star got to have the most powerful job. It's democratizing. It's like, oh wait, you don't have to know what you're doing at all? Oh, I can do that. But you do. Andrew Yang doesn't. But Andrew Yang hasn't been elected yet. He basically has, John. Only Trump, only Trump got elected having no idea what he was doing. Mm. That's not true. We've had lots of people over the course of our American history who've gotten elected. But most of these crazy people that come up that are the most outrageous and saying all these crazy things, they crash and burn. What about Schwarzenegger? What about Jesse Ventura? Fucking Jesse Ventura. Everyone forgets about JV. I'm talking about recently, but the Schwarzenegger was a successful governor. I know that, but I'm saying when he won, did he know what he was doing? I know he was a successful governor ultimately. I mean, in terms of those metrics, but did he know when he was, he had never run, he'd never held a position. Right. Excuse me. He was Mr. Olympia. Yeah. He was Mr. Universe. He held the most important position you can have in charge of the entire universe. I don't think we necessarily say our politicians have to know what they're doing to elect them. I think generally they do. (laughs) I can't wait for the New York City election. June 22nd, my birthday. This is the greatest birthday present ever. This New York City mayor election isn't going to be over for months, by the way. I just want to put that out there. With the ranked choice voting and everything, it's going to be such a mess. They're not going to know who the mayor is until like Christmas Eve, I bet. Really? There's going to be lots of waves. I think it's going to take at least a month. That's my prediction. Still don't understand it, the ranked choice voting stuff. I'm just trying to prepare myself for the stage of acceptance. Well, you're, you definitely should accept that the next mayor is either going to be Andrew Yang or Eric Adams. I already have. Oh, okay. Is that, is that the last stage? Am I done with the stages? Last stage is acceptance, man. Then you just chill. Oh. It goes rage, denial, anger, temper tantrum, depression, acceptance, and then you're done. Okay, great. Cool. Summer. Yeah. Skinny dipping. Speaking of moving on... The January 6th commission, <laughs> was that a good one, John? <laughs> yeah. John, why don't you take this next segue? I can't. John, let me tell you about January 6th commission. All right. Well, these Democrats want to put together a partisan commission to go on a witch hunt and try to blame all these patriots who went on a high-energy tourist tour of the Capitol on January 6th. Unrelated to President Trump's um, comments just moments before, these freedom-loving history buffs took delight in taking photographs and posing with iconic imagery from our American Republic. And then they left peaceably. There were no arrests. That's how you know it was not violent or seditious in the slightest. Now Democrats say they so-called want to get to the bottom of it, even though we all know it was Antifa and Black Lives Matter's agitators who were responsible for what little violence and chaos there was that day. Surely no more than 30 or 40 seconds of chaos at the most. So Republicans have decided to stand firm, more or less, under the advice of Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, and oppose a January 6th commission. Nip this witch hunt in the bud. 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, is very happy about this because she thinks these rioters, or should I say enthused tourists, are being persecuted and hounded. Just like the people who have to have a vaccine passport who she compared to fucking Holocaust. She compared it to the Holocaust, I think. The commission has passed the House with some 30-odd Republican House members supporting it. Now it moves to the Senate, where its fate is almost certainly doomed. However, predict it has a market for us. Listen to this. How many yay votes in the Senate for the January 6th commission by June 25th? 59 or fewer is in the lead at 89 cents. The next bracket, 60 or 61 votes, is at 6 cents. So they're saying they will not be able to get enough senators to vote for this commission to stop a potential Republican filibuster. Wouldn't it be amazing if Joe Manchin, the guy who doesn't want to have filibuster reform, then has to sit around and eat dirt while Republicans filibuster a commission about a riot at the Capitol? Same with Kristen Sinema. What would they be thinking, those two, I wonder? I used to be so into Joe Manchin earlier this spring. Oh, what a lost soul I am. <laughs> All right, John, what do you think about these odds? 89 cents, is that a good price to buy in, 59 or fewer? That's a guarantee. All right, I'll buy. Yeah, but you really should never be buying, you really should not be buying at 90 cents. Don't forget the fees. But that really feels like a guarantee to me. You don't think there's any way on earth they can actually rally 60 senators to vote for a commission? All it is is a commission. It's a fucking bipartisan commission. The Democrats already gave away half the farm anyway just to set the thing up. McConnell's each- against it. I mean, once McConnell comes out against it, nobody's going to go against him. It's not true. Some people go against him. Liz Cheney did, and look what happened t- there. And she gained. Yeah, nothing good for her. Mm-mm. Cornfield. Cornfield? Cornfield? She she was banished to the cornfield. Oh, is that a thing? Yes. Everyone's nodding right now. Of course, it's a thing. Even if you don't even even if you haven't seen the original thing, you know it's a thing. You're talking about the Twilight Zone episode. You're talking about the little boy. Yeah. The Trump. That's the Trump dynamic. Mm-hmm. Explain the reference, Starly. It was the Twilight Zone episode, and then it was also redone in the Twilight Zone movie, slightly different. Original Twilight Zone, there's an episode, it's very scary, even when you watch it now, it's super disturbing. Um, There's a little boy who can read everyone's thoughts, can hear what everyone is thinking, so that's one power he has. The other power he has is he can do anything he wants to you. If he hears a thought that he doesn't like, and the thoughts that he doesn't like are if you say something bad about him, you can never disagree with him. So he, so his family lives in fear of him, he's like seven years old, and they're throwing a birthday party for him. The big fear that you have is that he will banish you to the cornfield and you're just like in this cornfield, never able to get out and you live there forever. Mm-hmm. It's called It's a Good Life. It's based on a really scary short story. By who? Jerome Bixby. One of the things he does is he turns like a relative into a human jack-in-a-box. Like you open. Really? That's scary. You see the jack-in-a-box open and there's a spring and it's just the guy's head on top of the spring. That's And scary. it's really That's fucked scary. up. I've never seen, I've, I've read the short story, but I've never seen the Twilight Zone episode. The episode is so good. Twilight Zone is so good. It is an incredible show. The Man on the Wing. That's the best one. Oh, oh the monster. take a hike. The monster. Take a hike. I think the best one is about the glasses. Time Enough at Last, starring Burgess Meredith, a bookworm who needs time to read books, gets what he wants, but then something bad happens. That's my favorite because the last line is 
but it's not fair. And that's what I say to myself all the time. <laughs> it really sums up my worldview. Wow, Starly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> my worldview is fair. me always saying to myself, please don't turn me into a human jack-in-the-box. Please don't turn me into a human <laughs> jack-in-the-box. I don't want to be a jack-in-the-box. Why is Banish to the Cornfield, though, scarier than the jack-in-the-box? Why don't we say, we'll turn you into a jack-in-the-box? Have you ever been in a cornfield? Being banished to the cornfield would be such a huge relief. First of all, you can live forever on corn. You have an unlimited food supply. Plus, you can think whatever you want once again. That dirty old kid doesn't care because he— Do you know how many bugs are in the cornfield? Have you ever run through a cornfield? John, it's worth it for my freedom of thought. All sorts of awful things. It's worth it to be able to think and speak freely as I I choose, like Joe Rogan. I don't think you have freedom of thought. I think you just become, like, nothing. This is what I think he does. When he kind of likes you— he doesn't turn you into a jack-in-the-box. He's trying to not, because sometimes he's trying to resist doing something bad and he can't help it because he's a little boy. That's what's so scary about him. It's a child's mind with all this power. Yep. Who just thinks like a child, so he doesn't want everyone to be in trouble and he doesn't want anyone to tell him he can't do something. So he's, it's just terrifying power. So I think when he banishes the cornfield, it's kind of gotten out of his control and they're just there in this in this ether, in this in this in-between state. But you don't get that free thought. In the short story, I think the world has been reduced to nothingness except for this little neighborhood. I think they are surrounded by a void. I think in this, in the episode of Twilight Zone, he's like, where are the other kids? Why can't I have kids over? And they're like, well, you got rid of all the kids last time. There you go. Like, there's no one else but this family. It's really scary. It's creepy stuff. And they can't kill him because he knows, he knows that they'll think they'll be plotting to do it. So in the short story version of this tale— the family, the adults, who are, you know, desperate to stay alive and not be turned into monsters or banished into the middle of nowhere, they're learning in real time or have learned over the years how to placate this kid. Yeah. How to how to hide their own... Th- it's probably in a, you know, think it was probably a, a metaphor for Cold War communist states, right? They know how to rein in their thoughts. They know how to put on a happy face and agree with everything he says. Now, obviously, this is like... A lot of totalitarian regimes that want total control over their subjects. We're seeing this now. This is interesting. In the context of the January 6th commission, we have people like Kevin McCarthy, who called Trump the day of the insurrection and begged him to call off his rioters. We have Mitch McConnell, who in the days afterward came down hard on Trump and said it was completely unacceptable. Both of those guys have learned their lesson. They are now opposed to the January 6th commission because they know— that to attempt to hold Trump or his supporters to account risks them being banished into the cornfield. But the thing is, with all these dictators and totalitarian, mind-bending, psychic children, it's like they only really have as much power as you give them because Trump is down in Mar-a-Lago in Florida. But is it Trump? Is it Trump that they're worried about? Or is it the voters? Well, it's both, right? Trump and his people. No, it's the voters. John's right, because... In 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 the in the Twilight Zone, that little boy does not only have as much power as you give him. He's got actual power. He is he is a terrifying dictator who will execute you. Trump lost. Our version of that little boy is pretty lame. Right, because the voters still have have power. Still, what the Republican Party is afraid of is that they don't have an identity and that they will they have to now cater to this the lowest kind of thinking in order to um, even. Exist because Trump is no their only exist. idea as a party now. Not even Trump. The saying hateful things. The and the, the authoritarianism. Yeah, and those 
people do have power. That's what we're reckoning with. We're reckoning with the, how did this happen? How did it happen that they have power, those people have power over all of our lives? And it's not, it is real. If we are giving them the power, we don't know how to take it back. We all know how to untangle this. We all know what to do with this. Yeah. We can't change the base. The, the only people that can change the base are not the Republican Party. It's the Republican media apparatus. Are they the little boy then? Is Fox News a little boy? They, they may be. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Tucker Carlson, the <gasps> little psychic brat. It's Tucker Carlson. In his little bow tie He's... banishing people for wrong thought, thought crimes. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that I think Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell are also opposed to the commission because they now, like, you know, everyone's making fun of Mike Pence because his own brother, who's in the House of Representatives, voted in opposition to the commission, even though the rioters were looking for Mike Pence so they could kill him. All these Republicans who were so spooked in the immediate aftermath of the riot have learned their lesson, which is like, oh, this isn't going to affect us next time because we're going to be on the quote unquote right side of history. If we have a literal citizen army that is willing to over overrun Capitol buildings if the election doesn't go the way Republicans want, like, yeah, what's not to like? This is this system works. This is going to be great. It's going to be their people, yeah. Yeah, right. That's that's when I start to flirt with despondency about the state of our country. That I have to say, it doesn't seem healthy, and also it doesn't seem like a good faith exercise of the ideals that these people are always trumpeting. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just perverted like that. I'm always looking for the dark cloud hidden within the silver lining. No, right. So they tried to sell us, when Trump won, they tried to sell us that like it's because Hillary didn't go to Wisconsin and and we didn't and people didn't have jobs and we're out of touch with the working class. And then you see them storm the Capitol and you're like, hmm, I kind of think though that this is what you want. That even if we were to solve that other stuff, you now have this taste of being the people who can just um, bum rush our democratic system to get what you want. So when we look at the January 6th market, Long John Silver says, oh, look, it even went up to 91 cents, even in the time we've been discussing it. There is no way Democrats yeah. will convince a supermajority of 60 senators to support this bipartisan commission. So I kind of am excited to see the Republicans actually filibuster it. And they better fucking actually do a talking filibuster or Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema can both feast upon these nuts. They have to make them actually do it. He won't, but they do. I mean, this is incredible. This is going to be an iconic moment in American history. Shutting down this commission for Pete's sake. What are the arguments that they're putting forth? Are they even bothering with an argument to say why they are objecting so vehemently to a commission? I can tell you some of the arguments. Yeah, tell me. This is your filibuster. Right. Here comes my filibuster. You're like the um, stand-in. What's it called? When you're at a play, I'm the understudy. understudy. You're the understudy for the Republicans right now. Some Republicans are saying it's it's just simply too soon to look into this. Now is not the time. Mm -hmm. Other Republicans say that it will, by definition, be a partisan hit job because the chair of the commission can be appointed by Democrats, and it's only the vice chair who is appointed by the Republicans. Mm -hmm. Good. And I'm sure other people say, you know, we need healing and unity. We don't need to revisit old wounds. You know, let's leave these things in the past. One fella, I can't remember who, was like, "They're what riot? They're just tourists, man. <laughs> they were just excited tourists. There's nothing to investigate." <laughs> I like that. It's all it's all argued in bad faith. You know, it's a bummer. I have to admit it. It's a bummer. I'm not buying this at 91 cents, though. Mm-hmm. 91 cents is too much. Yeah, you just don't want to buy anything this high. 
unless you're hours away. Fine, I'll close this tab. This segment was a total dud. Sorry, guys. The real productive outcome of this segment is that we ascertain that Tucker Carlson is the little boy who banishes the cornfield. Yeah. That's helpful. It is. He's number one on my list of really bad people. I agree, John. I agree he's number one. He's the number one bad person. He is a bad guy. I mean, you know, I've got lists of bad guys. And, you know, like someone like Ben Shapiro is nothing compared to Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson's worse than Trump, and he's worse than Mitch McConnell. Yeah, he's a really bad guy. Is there no Tucker Carlson market at all? Maybe he's in the Arnom market. Yeah. He's never going to run for anything. Tucker Carlson's trading at three cents. He's in? There's a Tucker Carlson market? Absolutely, yeah. What? Are you pulling me leg? No. Long John Silver, are you pulling me leg? Tucker Carlson. Look at that. GOP 2024. Who will win the Republican presidential nomination 2024? Let me open up these brackets. Oh, my God. I, why do I have 100 shares of Mike Pompeo? Who did that? <laughs> when did that happen? Yeah, Tucker Carlson trading at three cents, one cent above Mitt Romney. Rick Scott at two. I might get in this market. I'm seeing some. Mm, Donald Trump Jr. Mm, some old familiar faces. <laughs> Marco Rubio, four cents. Tim Scott. Ted Cruz, six cents. Mike Pence, seven cents. Donald Trump, 27 cents. Ron DeSantis in a, nipping at his heels at 22 cents. John, what's going to happen when the um, New York Attorney General tries to extradite Trump for criminal charges and then Ron DeSantis refuses to turn him over to New York authorities? We're going to have a New York-Florida war, the stuff of my wildest fantasies. How's that going to play out, John? Wouldn't that help DeSantis? Of course it would help DeSantis. But wouldn't it also help DeSantis if he did allow it to happen? Right. This is my question. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, apparently they have some weird extradition thing where they don't have to turn people over if they don't want. So let's say the New York attorney general decides to bring the hammer down on Trump for one of his many crimes, one of his many alleged crimes. I beg your pardon, Trump organization. Please don't sue us. Bust. And, um... They try to bring him back to New York for trials or something. DeSantis says no. We think that helps DeSantis because he's fallen on his sword for the for Lord God, President Trump. But on the other hand, DeSantis is a real dirty player. Wouldn't he be like, yeah, you can take President Trump back to New York and keep him out of commission while I prepare myself for the 2024 presidential election? Can you imagine Ron DeSantis doing that? Wouldn't that be exciting? Where are you reading about this on Talking Points Memo? I'm hearing about this on all manner of podcasts, John. Don't ask where I get my information. I get it mostly from reinterpreting Bob Dylan's song lyrics and running them through my intelligence generator apparatus. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you think, what do you think that Bob Dylan's going to do for his 80th birthday? Oh, he's probably going to go on a walk, eat a salad, ride in a vintage car. I think he might go... Something near the water. Something involving the water today. Maybe fishing? There's no fucking way in a million years Bob Dylan is going fishing today on his 80th birthday. I'll just say that right now. Mm. What if Bob Dylan today goes into his home studio? (laughs) He's like, yeah, it's my birthday. I'm going to do the thing I love the most. I'm going to record music in my home studio. And then he goes in and he just records a version of Happy Birthday to Me. That would be so awesome. I would pay $100 for that record. Happy birthday to me. 
Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, dear myself. Happy birthday to me. Print it. We're done. Oh, Bob Dylan, what an iconic American. Here's what I'm reading. He grew up in a, in Minnesota where there was a lot of hunting and fishing done. They ask him, were you into hunting or fishing? I went into the woods with my uncle, my mother's brother. He was an expert hunter and tried to teach me, but it wasn't for me. I hated it. How about fishing? Oh, sure. Everybody did that. Bass, sturgeon, flatheads, lake trout. We caught and cleaned them too. Once again, I'm put in my place. Bob Dylan might actually be fishing today. Be out on a fishing charter. Yeah. Yeah, but he was fishing in, in those Minnesota lakes. I don't know if he's a California fisher. He might try it today for his 80th birthday just for something different. Isn't it weird? The L.A. basketball team is the L.A. Lakers. <laughs> it's the best episode ever. <laughs> I really hope Bob Dylan records a version of Happy Birthday to Me today. I think that would be amazing. And what would be most wonderful is if every birthday for the last 70-odd years, he's gone into a studio and recorded a version of Happy Birthday to Me. And then in five years or so, he puts out this massive box set called the Happy Birthday to Me Chronicles. Hmm. And we trace over the years the changes in Bob Dylan's voice and his spirit and his musical arrangements over the course of these 70-odd versions of Happy Birthday to Me. That would be an extraordinary document from one of America's finest living troubadours. Bob Dylan, I hope you've been working on this project. Bob Dylan has... 666 tweets. Oh, we got a bad boy on our hands. 416,000 followers. God, if he just had 4,000 more, would be perfect. They, but maybe people should follow, follow Bob Dylan then. That should be a birthday gift. Yeah, follow Bob, follow Bob Dylan. Dylan on Twitter, guys. Let's get him up to 420,000, then he'll try marijuana for the first time. But then not a person more. Not a person more. He follows no one. He follows no one. He's the original Kanye. Bob Dylan is the original Kanye West. Every day is happy birthday to himself. That's incredible. That's actually, that's incredible that he only has his own thoughts. That's the opposite of the people in the Banish from the Cornfield episode. None of those people thought to their own, but Bob Dylan, all of his thoughts are his own. And that's why he's the king. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production. Should I do the whole thing like that? That's not annoying, right? <laughs> we think executive producers Alex Bach and Rich Corson and Daniel Powell with help from Houston Snyder and Kat Iosa. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. Send your Andrew Yang analyses to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And if you want to try Predict It, go to www.predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20 to receive up to $20 in matching funds. Remember to rate and review us on the podcast rating and reviewing platforms. I'm Bob Dylan and I'm here to say I'm feeling 80 years old and it's it's A-OK. John, can you imitate Bob Dylan? Yeah, Bob Dylan, he sounds like this. <laughs> you make him sound 80. Really? You have to have that youthful exuberance when he does stuff like that, like when you're on your own and no way to call home, like a rolling stone. Woo, I wish I could write lyrics. I wish I was Bob Dylan's ghostwriter. Can you imagine a more wonderful job? 
than being like, yeah, actually, I wrote all those Bob Dylan songs. Bob Dylan, I'm out. Mic drop, harmonica drop. Bye. Bye. Bye.